0: Hello, sports fans. Welcome back to the Bailiwick Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Corbelt, and today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by my co-colleague, Paul Lees. How are you, Paul?
1: Very good, Elliot. Yourself?
0: Yeah, really good. Thank you, mate. Uh, we were both at the Bulls game on Saturday, a 3-0 win against Collieswood United. How did you find it?
1: Yeah, I felt that Bulls were back to their best in control of the match, despite going down to 10 men early on. It didn't seem like they had a man disadvantage mm. um, and yeah, fully deserved the win and could have been more.
0: Yeah, I mean, for those for those who didn't see it, um, Harry Curtis sent off within 60 seconds. Have you seen an earlier red card than that?
1: Yeah, I think I probably had one myself, to be honest, <laughs> Elliot, but I'm not sure. But um, yeah, there's been a few early red cards in a professional game.
0: Mm. And uh, of course, Lawn Bickley in there with a hat-trick, he's hit, some, he's hit a real little purple patch there, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, he's on fire now. Um, it's good. Um, Bulls need his goals if they're going to go on to win promotion
0: of course a massive game in the FA Vars fifth round for the Bulls coming up this weekend against Falmouth Town tell us a little bit about that game
1: yeah very excited about that Um, FA Vars is a great competition you know it's a national competition for all the non-league clubs from step six and step five and it's a great great thing for Bulls to be in and if they can get if they can win this game they're in the quarterfinals and only two more steps away from Wembley
0: absolutely this is the equal furthest the Bulls have got in the competition after last year as well so a win on Saturday would see them get the furthest they've got in this competition as you said three more wins away from a trip to Wembley could you imagine
1: oh it'd be fantastic um and I'm sure there'd be a a huge crowd going to Wembley way on that day absolutely Tell the listeners who we've got in the pod today, Corpse.
0: Yeah, uh, delighted to say we're joined by local football referee Harry Walker. Of course, just got his first call up to the FA Vars as an assistant referee. Really exciting for him. And um, Elliot Powell, uh, 2023 Sports Coach of the Year, St Peter's Football Club uh, coach, and uh, of course, a gold medal winner with Team Jersey at the Ireland Games. It's uh, a fascinating conversation we had, and we hope you enjoy. Harry, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us today, lads. Um, Harry, we'll start with you, mate. What first got you interested in becoming a football referee?
2: Uh, well, reffing for me was the next sort of step I could make in football when I was involved as a junior. I was, doing some, I was playing every week, doing some coaching, and thought one of the coaches I was working with said, you're going to end up refing. There aren't enough refs, so whilst you're coaching junior football, it's something else that you can do and get stuck into, and it ended up being a part of football that, I suppose was the most accessible for me and at the point where I was at as 14, 15, 16 I could do it every week it was a nice little bit of money on the side and something really enjoyable that I got stuck right into.
0: And in terms of you making that step up into refereeing senior football just 16 years of age was there a a bit of intimidation factor for you there?
2: Absolutely I think it would be weird if there wasn't that nervousness going into it but um, the support that Jersey FA have always provided me, sort of gave me that backing and the structure I needed to know that I was confident to go out and do it and had the support behind me to go and do senior football from that age of 16 and progress from there through the senior ranks to where I am now.
0: Any funny interactions with the man sitting next to you?
2: No, Pauly's pretty chilled out, I think. (laughs) Certainly, not personally, I've, (laughs) I've been fine with you. It's because you're half decent. (laughs) (laughs) So we got away with it.
0: What he says in the clubhouse after a beer might be a bit different, but... (laughs) Talk to us there then, Elliot. What makes Harry a decent referee?
3: Yeah, I think, think firstly, that... um, You blush in there as well, next to me already. Um, (laughs) I think that the first bit is that came into it so young, Like I think you probably did get a little bit of lead way um, from the lads straight off the bat because clearly it's a bit of an anomaly. You look at most of our referees, they're they're balding or or grey-haired. So um, Harry did kind of stick out like a sore thumb, really, I think, when he started. Obviously, naturally, he's got that that fitness level to get around the park, um, which I think helps massively. You can't criticise him in terms of his positioning. He's always up with play. But also that relatability. Harry was still playing when he, when he started refereeing and still does turn out now and then for Roselle. So I think that ability to relate to him, that he probably had his own game during the week or he did his own training during the week, he understood what the emotion of the game meant. He understood how much work went into it. Um, so I just th- I always felt like he was a lot more understanding, but he's on the line tomorrow, so he should have maybe asked <laughs> me on Monday. <coughs>
0: and Harry, massive... <clears throat> call up for you a couple of weeks ago in the FA Vars. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and how the actual day went for you.
2: So FA competitions are done through nominations each year so in the early rounds of the FA Cup and FA Vars where it's the lower ranking officials as such they're nominated by the county FA and there's normally a few from each county nominated and um, but at this stage it's done on FA nomination which I got through being a member of FA Coach Center of referee and Excellence. so there's about 400 members up and down the country from level three to level seven so just through that and some good observations some good club marks this season I suppose put me up that puts me up there in the merit tables which meant I was spotted by the FA and it was the most local game to me in that round so I was down in Falmouth great day out there was 550 people there there was about 200 people packed into one end of the grounds that weren't there wasn't a moment of quiet from them so I was quite thankful that I was up the other end and didn't have them in my ear for half a game. Of
0: course you were running the line weren't you? How how was the actual game from your perspective?
2: Um, it was quite slow really, Hartbury were a step six side and struggled to get out their half so it was quite cold in the second half and I was stood there with the Falmouth back four but um, it, there wasn't much to it, a comfortable win for Falmouth in the end but a great experience working with a level three referee and great day out with a brilliant atmosphere.
0: Local referee Paul Daniels obviously retired recently from Jersey Football Association, been a referee over here for decades, um, what sort of influence did he play in your development?
2: Paul be massive for me right from when he delivered the course as a fresh-faced 14-year-old. Um, always been that person you can go back to, just his knowledge and expertise are always someone you could ask any question to and he'll give you his honest thoughts and if he's watching a game and thinks you haven't had the best game, he'll tell you, but he does it in a way that's going to support you and provide those next steps in a beneficial way for you to go and sort of fix whatever may have happened in your next game. So Paul's massive and always supported me in everything that I've done on the pitch.
0: And those next steps for you in terms of your development moving forwards, professional game aspirations for you?
2: Absolutely. I think it would be for anyone involved in football at any level, that has to be your aspiration. Obviously, you hit a certain point where you go, I'm happy here. A lot of the local guys... Opportunity has probably never come around for them, but for me and where I'm at in the merit tables currently this season, if I can get a few more games in, I give myself a good chance of getting to get into level three and hopefully push on from there, seeing how it can work with the
1: FA and being based over here. Yeah, and um, obviously, you did some work as a JFA referee <laughs> development officer. Um, tell us a little bit about that and also tell us now does that that there seem to be a, a better pathway now for jersey referees to get into officiating in England
2: yeah absolutely so like the way the FA have changed the pathway now for grassroots officials especially yeah. um, going from a trainee referee to a level 7, 6 and 5 has become much more accessible and more placed on the individual as games aren't Tracked over a season, they're done, they just carry over, which means for someone who's also playing, if they don't do 25 games in a season, doesn't mean they can't get promoted. They can do it over two seasons and work up that way. So, that change from the FA is really beneficial for people to come in and still be able to access the higher levels of grassroots football. Um, obviously, we're implementing that program as a Jersey FA. Um, we're, we've run two training courses every year for the last four or five years now, and we've got another one coming up in most likely September, so we'll hopefully get some more young officials on that and push through from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been some good initiatives in getting younger referees involved, younger uh, boys and girls involved in refereeing, um, which you see at junior levels as well, which is really encouraging. I suppose, you know, there was a time where Jersey struggled with numbers with uh, referees um, and it kind of hindered the game I think uh, we, we can all agree on that are you seeing now through this initiatives more interest?
2: Yeah absolutely and we're seeing a lot of the younger guys that came in four or five years ago just after me now progressing into senior football so I think our coverage this season of senior football is something like 99% so really really good and our junior stuff is I think under 15 to under 18 is up there in the high 90s as well um and we're about fifty percent for under eleven to under fourteen, which is probably doubled from what we were five ten years ago with our coverage of games, which can only improve the environment for everyone, can let players play can let coaches coach yeah, and it provides just that background for a better game, I think um so we have our referee development center, which runs in line with the center of excellence and the player development center um providing opportunities for the young officials to work as teams teams of three with a little theory session before for half an hour on a Friday night, um, which also allows them to work together under support of Paul, Dan- Paul Daniel, as Elliot said, and Luke Neerak myself, and I'm here, just to provide that support and that backing to talk about their games that we always try and mentor anyway, but bring these experiences together um, and go out on the pitch at Springfield as a team of three, which for a lot of officials that age in England, would never happen. They'd be turning out on the park on a Sunday morning. Uh, There might be a mentor there for a few of their games, but there's nowhere near the level of support that we're able to provide here.
1: Yeah, and I suppose, like you say, having that team of three, I think there's probably a period of time, Elliot, as well, where you get a referee, but there was such a shortage of officials. You'd have club linesmen. Yep. Um, and it's not an ideal situation is it so now you're seeing now you're seeing teams of three officiating helping out the games that must obviously make for a better better game for yourself as well
3: yeah definitely I think the, the club line is an absolute luxury. Um, you know it does it got a good one it can gain you four or five points a season if <laughs> you get a bad one you, you're losing a few so I think that makes a massive difference um, you know we we probably actually don't recognise that enough as a, as a local football community certainly certainly um, you know, when I was cut up in Preston there was there was never a game unless it was a cup quarter final, maybe that you got three three officials. Um and we are we take that for granted, I think. Yeah. You know, to the point where we'll look on oh who've we got as a match official and then you when you got Harry on the line. Um but you then remember actually it's better than having Sid Horman from St Peters on the line. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's great so to have three but one Yeah, it makes a massive difference. I think the integrity of the league goes up, so therefore you're especially from a premiership perspective your, your your biggest spectacle as a local football association is properly refereed properly officiated there can be no four or five point kind of variances because of who's on the line it's, it makes a massive massive difference
1: yeah and um, as I say you're a referee you know but you did play a bit you're a decent goalkeeper in your time <laughs> do you still turn out for Ozil now and again do you, do you miss do you miss the playing side
2: yeah absolutely I think for me the commitment to training was what I struggled with most because Mark La appointments officer would want me doing a Tuesday or Wednesday night and the la- I'd be messaging Jody McCarthy saying oh, sorry Joe can't make tonight and it's that commitment between the two and I sort of had to choose because then my Saturdays would either be playing or refereeing and have to make that choice again and I, I realised when I thought I was going to go to uni I had that opportunity to get myself in the best position possible to be refereeing where I am now at step five and six and the non-league system, rather than park football on a Saturday afternoon, so I had to make that decision. But it's absolutely something I miss, and it's the team side of it. Yeah. Admit the playing isn't as much of a miss as being with the lads on a Saturday afternoon yeah. and going in the bar after.
1: So you're not invited in the bar after anymore.
2: <laughs> Most are, might not be invited, but I'll go anyway. Um, Depends on how you perform. Yeah, yeah. If I've had a bad game, I'm picking up my bag and I'm off. But it's definitely something I do miss, but I had to make that choice and playing was something that was never going to make me... Well, I was never going to make it as a player. So to have the chance to potentially make it as a referee, I had to make that decision, which was tough and I hung on for probably a year too long, but
1: did enjoy my playing whilst I was doing it. Good. And, um, I mean, it, it said that a lot of footballers and perhaps coaches too... Don't fully understand the laws of the game. Would you say that's fair on certain aspects? Uh, yeah, definitely, There's All these little nuances where
2: we do something that everyone kicks off about, and we're just saying, "Lads, it's it's the laws." Yeah, um,
0: that must be so frustrating. So it, many rule changes, absolutely, come it, in
2: the last few years. The big one at the moment is handball. Sure, and you can read the handball law so many times but the interpretation is going to be different for everyone um, I think that's the big thing I think it's also what we love so much about football that it's subjective and anything can almost happen but another one is drop balls yeah. for years we still stop a game now because a player's injured and they're like oh I'll kick it back to him it's like no you, you can't um, they had the ball I drop it to them and they're going to play on and everyone's like what's going on <laughs> but it's these little things I think for, for the most case everyone knows what a foul is yeah. But it's these little things where we've read up on it, so what we have to do, but most 95% of people in the ground probably don't know what's going on. And that's where I think it's really important that you communicate properly so that everyone can get that and know why you're doing it.
0: Yeah, we've spoken before about your you being really crucial on communication with players and managers and coaches on the mm-hmm. sidelines being one of the main things about being a referee. Elliot, would you agree with that and in terms yeah. of... a. Uh, Understanding a decision or a rule, if you're not maybe not fully understood of what the situation is, as long as that communication is clear of why a decision has been made, then you're fine with that. I
3: think maybe my coaching team are fully aware of the laws. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, we'll I've, see you tomorrow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll put yep. that to the test in a minute. Yeah,
3: um, I think communication is that that biggest aspect, and you know, not wanting to. Um, to kind of name names in this, this regard, but there is a massive um, disparity between those that do and those that don't communicate. I think we had a really, really good example um, from the three Guernsey officials last week in our, in our game against St Clements. I thought they were superb. I thought Ben in the middle made a decision that we probably didn't agree with. Um, then Elliot Pools reacted in a way which probably do agree with how he's, how he's been treated in terms of a, a yellow card for descent. Um, and then there was a potential for that to escalate to a to red card. But actually, Ben's communication at that point um, just completely simmered the situation down. Elliot had his yellow card for, for descent. He was off for the final two minutes, but he's not missing three games. I don't think that approach would be taken by every referee. Maybe the guy next to me would deal with it in exactly that way. Um, but there are several referees who would be, you know, dropping cards on the floor to be able to get to the next one to give you another one. So. Um, yeah, I think communication's absolutely absolutely massive. And, you know, the, we look at the better referees over here, certainly Harry, um, people like Mark who've done it for a long, long period of time. Um, Gareth this season I think their communication's gone up a level, um, to the point where I think sometimes you don't communicate for the guy that you're actually um, giving given the yellow card to or giving the foul against. You're communicating to the like I said, to the ground. Um, so that I can disagree agreeably on the on the other side and the St Peter's old cronies can disagree with you as well But at least they know what's been given and the reason behind it So yeah, that communication, just I think it saves you A lot of aggro, so I would encourage more
2: referees To do it, please uh, Yeah, that point you make disagree agreeably mm-hmm. is massive, like you're not going to Agree with everyone We see it in the Premier League every week Where they're looking at it on VAR 10, 15 times We don't have that on a Saturday We've got one look uh, However quick it happens Um And we have to make a decision. So then it is just explaining that. And even if it is disagreed with, it's saying everyone understands a point of view. I'll give you a hand tomorrow mate, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone understands that point of view and can go, normally can go, you know what, fair enough. Thanks for explaining. Rather than just standing there and saying, no, it's what I've given, without backing yourself and saying why you've done it.
1: Yeah. So, um, you said you were pretty confident <laughs> on the laws of the game. But Scratch that bit. I'm going to put you to the test. I, you're a bit too young to probably remember this. There used to be a cartoon strip called You Are The Ref. I don't know if you're aware of that. No? Are they printed
3: in colour, Paul? <laughs> well,
1: I've, I've printed it in colour. And, um, Good. So uh, this used to be a f- thing, and they give you a little scenario. So I'm going to read one out to you, Elliot, and you're going to try and answer answer it. Dog I get call a friend? No. corny's <laughs> no. um, on speed dial. <laughs> So, here's a scenario for you. Um, a defender jumps up and down in front of a forward who is trying to take a quick throw. So, the attacker throws the ball at him, collects the rebound, races away, and scores. Goal or no goal?
3: No goal on the yellow card to the defender.
2: Why are you punishing the defender when the attacker... The defender's You're jumping up, you've got to give a metre, haven't you? But the, attacker's ga- the, the attacker has scored... So why are you going to punish the attacker by giving a free kick? You ever kick?
3: watched your ref, mate? That whistle's in, <laughs> like
2: cards out.
1: We watch the game back tomorrow tell me. What would be the answer then? So this is Keith Hackett's verdict. Obviously Keith is the uh, I don't know, he's former in PGMOL. There, there thought we thought go. Uh, and uh, top referee of his day, um, he says: assuming the throw wasn't unduly hard or intended to cause injury, the attacker hasn't committed any offence here, so award the goal. As for the defender, he didn't actually delay the restart, so he avoids a booking this time. But have a word, warn him that if he does this again, he'll be cautioned. The laws require, require him to be two metres away from the point at which the ball is thrown, and he must know that.
0: See, uh, <coughs> how I struggle with something like that is there's, there's a subjective element there of did he throw the ball with intent to hurt someone? And people standing behind, if this is a Premier League game, people standing behind you will have very firm opinions on that and mm-hmm. the opposition would have the complete well, opposite and that, that would feel like a lose-lose to me. Yeah. Plenty of people have firm opinions on a lot of things in football
1: <laughs> and it's, it's open to interpretation isn't it? Everything That's the problem with yeah. foot, football officiating the referee, officiating even in football is so many laws are open to interpretation so sometimes you lack that consistency what people really see. Would you agree?
2: Yeah absolutely and that's the thing where one day I could interpret something differently to what someone else does the next week um, and a lot of coaches that probably annoys you <laughs> <laughs> Get it one way one week and a different way another week but the interpretation of law they might still be right in law but their interpretation could be different Yeah. so that's the difficult thing and where a, a lot of work is going on at the moment amongst the refereeing community to be as consistent as possible with everything yeah. um, and that if I do something one week someone else does the same thing another week Um. And it is, but it is that interpretation of where Keith said on that um, cartoon pool, have they thrown it in a way that is, would you, you deem as aggressive attitude or violent conduct and then yeah. you have a decision if you're cautioning the attacker or sending off the attacker um, or have they done it in a way that is acceptable and they're just bouncing the ball off them to play on. Yeah. So you've got three situations coming out of that one scenario and you've got, Half a second to decide what you're doing.
0: Who did yeah. that? Who did that for Arsenal? And it ball hit him, and then he fell over like an idiot. Was it, it was Alexis Sanchez. Sanchez Warriors, yeah, it? and he looked around, and then grabbed his face yeah. and fell over. That
2: cool. <laughs> and that's also our problem. That out in the middle, we've got players doing that, and you're thinking, what's actually happened here? Yeah. yeah. And the big one at the moment is a tackle goes in. It might be hard, it might be fair, but the contact's on the top of their toe, and they're grabbing halfway up their shin, mm. and you're going. Well, point of contact's a big difference if you might go yellow, red, or just a foul. And you've got that, if you can't exactly see it, you might have a little look where the player's holding.
1: So making that decision is always difficult. Interesting point. One for you then, Corpse. All right, I'll give you this one. A keeper drags down a striker in a one on one. You blow your whistle and point to the spot, only to see the ball carrying on rolling and end up in the net. Do you now give the goal instead?
0: Uh, well, I had this play for Saint John's a couple of weeks ago where I completely half a striker going what? around. <laughs> well, the ball didn't end up in the net, but um, I remember my centre back trying to moan to the ref saying that I'd got the ball, when I was like, uh, no, I, was, I, was, <laughs> um, I think if you, I, I think I'm probably correct in saying if you blow your whistle, you've made mm. your decision. Yep. Um, if he was, if he was on his way." and then saw the ball was going in and changed his mind I think that's fair enough a bit like giving an advantage isn't it but Mm -hmm. I think if you blow your whistle you've kind of you've made your bed there and you've got to sleep quite
3: similar to the Arsenal Barcelona Champions League final maybe 2004 2005 when Lehmann Lehmann half to, half the Barcelona, didn't he? Then yeah. Julie stick it into the net. Yeah. Um, but he'd already blown his whistle, sent off Lehman for denying goal scoring. Whereas he could have probably just let it go, and the final would have been better. I think Arsenal one 0 up at the time, weren't yeah, they? Campbell right. scored. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that sounds like a shocker a, from a ref. There was
0: a recent one with City on the break as well, wasn't it? We pulled it back. From yeah. The advantage. Yeah. Am I, would I be right in saying? Yeah. Or as soon as, as, you as,
2: as, as, as your whistle's gone, that's it. The ball's dead. Even if it then rolls in. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's a big thing with us, with what Elliot just said about that denial of a goal scoring opportunity. A lot of the time we'll blow our whistle and then all of a sudden a player picks it up and you're going, yeah, but you've got there because the defenders have all stopped when I blow my whistle. Yeah. So you have a load of people, again, yeah. a load uproar, thinking, oh, it's this, it's that. But actually at the point w- I've blown my whistle that attacker's ten yards away and the defender's five yards in front of him.
0: And again, your communication of yeah. that exact point comes into importance. If yeah. you've just gone, no, 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 I've blown my whistle, go away, no one will understand what you mean. No. There, but if you're clear about that...
2: And say, so "That's why, I, when the whistle went, he was closer to the ball than you, that's why I've blown it and not given you the advantage. Mm. Players, some players might take it, some
1: won't. Mm. Well, the, yeah, this one is this one a bit more black and white. And uh, Keith Hackett says, it's too late for that. This is poor officiating. You should always delay a decision in cases like this. Um, one for you then, Harry, to finish off. And this isn't on the cartoon stream. <laughs> you are the ref. It's an under 13 team match between the two best teams in the league. As an official referee hasn't been appointed, you, as a home team's coach, will take charge of the match. Things are tight, then, with about ten minutes to play, your star striker is through, through one-on-one. The goalkeeper comes flying out and intentionally takes out your star striker outside the penalty area. What do you do? And remember, you're the home coach as well, and it's an under-13 game.
3: You're taking this from your diary <laughs> when you're an under-13 coach.
1: I did say that. Um, as, the, as
2: a home coach, it's your responsibility as a referee. You have the full powers of official, so you can caution and send off. Um, Thinking back to when you were the referee and I was that player that came out and wiped someone out, <laughs> I think you let me away with it and uh, I was back in goal for the <laughs> That's free exactly kick. exactly what i referring to. <laughs> it was opposite um, Peter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Simply, yeah, it Peter's
1: versus St. Clement's under 13, Harry Walker was the under 13 goalkeeper and obviously <laughs> I'm the home ref and I'm, I'm given this situation where, I mean, Toby Ritzmer was... I think it was Toby. I yeah, he flown was playing out through. And, he cleaned him out, out yeah, <laughs> and, and Harry <laughs> just let him run absolutely wiped him out, and it was a guaranteed goal. And uh, but you know, I did, I couldn't. What did you do? I could, I let him off. did I didn't have any cards in my pocket, <laughs> so I couldn't even right. give him a yellow. Couldn't even give a ticket down. So I just let I let him off because I didn't feel in my position as a coach of Saint Peter that I could send off.
2: It is really difficult, and that's why we try and get referees to as many junior games as possible, especially once they become competitive or even at under 11, under 12, 13, if we know that it's two teams that are both decent teams are going to provide each other a good game, that they're always the games we'd prioritise to try and get a referee to, yeah. so a hope that we didn't don't have to put a coach in that position that you were in when <laughs> I decided someone wasn't going to score. <laughs>
0: it's, it's fascinating that like we, I know the three of us have experience in um, officiating other sports as well in cricket, like I've, I've done an awful lot of coach umpiring junior cricket and it's the exact same thing if you're if you're a, a home official in the same sort of sense and you know your star player gets smashed halfway up his front pad it, you, you know you do have a decision to make and it's um, I've, I've found previously it's just about if you're gonna have officials in that situation you discuss with a if, if their coach as well is umpiring as well as a right let's just do this properly and you, usually it turns out okay but I've yeah. seen some shockers. Absolute shockers over the years, and, and um, <clears throat> coming on nicely to, to you, Elliot. Um, a heck of a 2023 for you personally. Congratulations on being Water coach of the year and up the, for a sports personality of the year award as well this year. Um, how's the last 23 24 months, last 12 months been for you personally?
3: Yeah, um, quite whirlwind, I think. I think you kind of um, don't expect that level of success, obviously. there were, Couple of disappointments in there as well. It wasn't all um, sunshine and roses, and uh, with a couple of cup final defeats where we just really didn't turn up. But um, certainly the the league league title and then the opt-in after that was was really really memorable. And I thought that was probably going to be as good as it gets. Um, but then the the Maratti, you know, working with Cass for that for that day and that that whole day out was was a great experience. And then obviously the situation that happened with Cass and his resignation, um, the Island Games job kind of fell in my lap mainly as. Um, the timelines were so tight to look at doing anything else so right place right time um, and then that whole week as well was just one of those things where I think we could have played you and left wing and it would have probably worked like every decision we made just seemed to, to come off and um, we always felt like we maybe didn't get the, the rub of the luck of the green in, in some of them uh, some of the games of bounces not quite fallen to us or didn't get in, not getting penalty decisions etc but actually when we look back decisions we made worked and there's a little bit of luck in that as well so um, yeah a phenomenal year and you know really really grateful for the um accolades that have come come with that I and mean, slightly um imposter syndrome with it because there's a lot of um coaches that, that put a lot of work into that as well and you know whilst i spearhead, spearhead those teams um especially guards in particular he, he deserves on his name on all of those trophies as well and um my dad at st peter's dave Um, with the JFA as well, Richard with the JFA, Andy Dewhurst with both St Peter's and the JFA, there's been a lot of people that put a lot of work into that, even your reserves team managers, your C team managers, Andre team's manager last year, Jody, and the players he was bringing through for us from a first team perspective, all of their contributions made that success, so you do feel a little bit embarrassed picking up a, a trophy when there's so many people that have contributed to it.
0: And um, we mentioned before about Harry starting off in senior football as a referee at such a young age. You walk into a senior dressing room at St Peter's. Am I right in saying 2022?
3: 22, 22, so I'd I'd done a little bit before that. Um, St John before that. St John before that, and then um, up at Forward Park Rangers in in Preston before that. So, um, yeah, very, very different. All three were really different changing rooms. I think Forward was um, your absolute kind of dog and duck Sunday team. with some talented players that were playing you know, a decent level Saturday football as well over there, um, went up there to, to play originally, uh, and then the year that I went to went to uni, I fractured my patella um, and kind of playing took a little bit of a backseat from from that perspective. I decided to go on the lads' holiday to, to Sunny Beach in Bulgaria rather than get the op. So um, a decision that seven years later I kind of regret um, because it's <laughs> pretty, pretty sore. Yeah, <laughs> good trip. Um, yeah, so. No regrets. <laughs> up, uh, up, went and played a bit up there but just knew that I, c- I couldn't do what I, I wanted to do really, I played with my brother which was great um, something that obviously my, my brother, um, same dad different mums but my brother's lived in Preston for his whole whole life really since he was three so the opportunity to go and train and play with him and, and spend a lot more time with him was um, really really important to me and then we quite quickly found ourselves in a bit of a relegation battle up there um, manager stepped aside I did a couple of temporary games, managed to stay up that year, Um second last game of the season I think we, we stayed up um, so that was great and then there was a new manager came in and he wanted me to keep doing the coaching element whilst I was at uni so um, John O'Hallan, the, the manager at the time he brought in some some really good players um, I did all of the, the training sessions the coaching and we kind of formed a quite a good partnership got promoted the year that, that I left I finished, finished uni and and then FBR did another season at that that higher level so that was um, a really really good experience uh, and then coming back to, to Jersey my, my mate Jamie Clayton got in touch saying oh, I'd come and play at St John's and I kind of gave the, the spiel that i have just given there that you know, playing wasn't really for me anymore um, he said oh well coach then I was like no I'm not interested at all um, I didn't really want to get into football coaching I'd done a little bit at Roselle as a junior coach um, but I hadn't really got an appetite for it in local football uh, somehow he dragged me up to to St John's pub and um, we had a meeting with all the players, all four of them, um, <laughs> and they were really kind of on their arse, to be fair, as a yeah. club. Um, my dad decided that he'd give me a little bit of a hand we'd just do pre-season. Um, and then just doing pre-season drew us against St Paul's and Trinity in the Charity Cup. You feel pretty hard done by when you get St Paul's <laughs> at the time, who hadn't lost in about <laughs> seven years. And then uh, Trinity, who had Ruben Mendes, Carl Hines, yeah. um, Jason Andrew, they had a very good team at that point as well. And we thought we'd been absolutely stuffed there, really. Um, But we competed really, really well in the group stage. We lost 5-2 to Trinity, um, but they scored two goals really late on. Um, And then we lost 2-1 to St Paul's, having led for 70 minutes. And Clates, who wrote me into that, then decided to shin two into his own net that day. (laughs) um, If it wasn't for Clates, I wouldn't have been there. But if it wasn't for Clates, we'd have beaten St Paul's. So, um, yeah, that that was quite the experience. And from there... Players start coming in, you, you're delivering train sessions. The financial situation wasn't great at the club, so we were training nine till ten at Springfield, having to pay cash uh, on the door. Um, it was difficult, but we were getting 30 lads every every single Tuesday, every single Thursday. It was great, and quite quickly that kind of evolved into a really, really competitive team. I think we lost one game that year, which was obviously curtailed from, from a COVID perspective. Um, so that's kind of how we ended up then being offered the St Peter's job and moving up to St Peter's at, at 22. But yeah, in terms of local, Football 21 would have been the first time. I took a senior job and 19 would have been the first time in, in Preston.
1: Yeah.
0: Now I heard a little story about your first game in charge of St Peter's. Yeah. Can, can confirm if this is completely accurate or not. But I, yeah. I, I don't know what the score was, but I believe... 5-1. 5-1. <laughs> I believe after the game you came back in and... Pretty, pretty firmly asserted how you thought about the performance. Despite, um, I think maybe the, t- yeah, t- turned a few heads.
3: A little bit, a little bit of um, maybe a sloppy performance in the first one. But I, I was actually wrongfully dismissed in uh, February 2019 uh, by a referee, and uh, I had a two-game stadium ban, which is ludicrous because you don't have a stadium last <laughs> Ospreyfield. But anyway, I was on a stadium ban, um, so I actually wasn't allowed to be at the games. Um, we were playing St Lawrence that day. That first day uh, We went 1-0 up Pretty early on James Carr scored a world He scored a hat-trick that day um, And then we won 5-1 I, I don't think I was Too, too harsh on that day I wasn't allowed to be there So I didn't I think I maybe popped Into the clubhouse And had a couple Of a couple of drinks after Once the referees had left um, But the second game Was against St. Brerals And we were 2-0 up um, Still banned at this point And yeah I think had to do a bit of a Mourinho and sneak into the changing rooms. Um So we lost the game three two. I think that's the game. Elliot, Elliot Paul got um sent off, rightfully as well. By the way, for the record, uh, he got sent off, and I had to. Yeah, I felt like I needed to kind of stamp authority at that point. We, we had another game on the Tuesday night against some ones. Um, so I snuck in through the fire exit at the back of the ground um, and back in the changing rooms, and yeah, maybe read the right act a little bit there, which yeah, punchy when you haven't been around, but. Um, was needed and then we, we turned in a great performance on the Tuesday night so it seemed to have worked and I think you've got to set your stall out early doors clearly you're the youngest bloke in the room at, at periods with the exception maybe of of your Ritzmers and your cars for that season um, the youngest guy in the room so people might think you're going to be a a pushover, so you've got to lay down a marker fairly early on.
0: Yeah, I've, I've known you for a long time, Paulie, and I, I know that you have. No lucky you! <laughs> I know you've got no problems being being honest with people and, and mm-hmm. setting out straight. And uh, but must have been a little, a little bit intimidating to sit in a room of blokes older than you and lay out your lay out your intentions pretty clearly.
3: Uh, maybe I don't think there's much more intimidating than being a privately educated southerner trying to do that up in <laughs> Preston. Um, so yeah, it is what it is. Um, i
0: teach you a lot, don't it?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, learn where to keep your mouth shut. Um, yeah, I, I think um, being the youngest guy is something that I've kind of been used to. I'm sure Harry's got exactly the same experience um, from his from his refereeing, but yeah, I've got it at work as well. Um, the age thing kind of frustrates me a little bit. It is one of my gripes, um, that it's always kind of thrown back at you as a negative at times, but actually I think there's... You can set your marker out and actually gain a lot more respect quite quickly as a as a young coach or young professional in any in any field. So um, yeah, I'm not daunted by a by a difficult conversation.
0: And and you've coached cricket as well. We share an experience there with yep. our time with the old, old Victorian's Cricket Club Academy. Um, yeah. what do you feel are the differences between coaching cricket and football and also the difference in coaching juniors and seniors? Um
3: Junior cricket was great, Like I really enjoyed setting up the OV Academy 2015-2016, that that was great but obviously you've not quite got similar to what Harry was saying there, you're not really in a team, you're doing a lot of the coaching on your own, okay you might have some parent helpers and people like Stuart Hodgson were were great for me at OVs, Um, Neil Webster as well in terms of how much they helped, Um, but you don't have that that team, team environment, you're not working as part of a group. Also, clearly, you're not going for a pint after the game with with the team. Um, so that difference to then senior football, where it is a group, you're you bringing in personalities that you want in that in that area. You've got um, kind of a social scene to it as well. I, I got a lot more out of the senior senior aspect. I don't think I could go back and do junior coaching in any sport now. Cricket is maybe the one because it's a nice day out in the sun usually, um, but. Yeah, senior, f- senior football for me in particular, I got a lot more reward out of that than, than
1: junior cricket. Yeah, um, going, in, the talk of going back to strong personalities um, in the dressing room, obviously got one at St Peter right now, I suppose, with Peter Vicente, um, you know, played for a decade at a professional level in the football league. I mean, how helpful has he been um, to you? Has he, has he been able to offer any sage advice to you? or
3: Probably not as much advice as he offers the referees. Um, <laughs> you know, like, Vinny is a, a character that I think is completely um, misunderstood in terms of he's got that white line fever and clearly he's a dedicated professional that yeah. achieved an awful lot in the game. Um, and you know is one of the best products we've ever produced as, a, as an island so he has that that edge to him off the pitch completely different um, really good lad around the, around the group really good with the young players will ask and put heavy demands on them uh, which they might see as him being a cantankerous old git but it's actually him <laughs> trying to push them so that it makes his team better that he plays in on the Saturday and from a coaching perspective you know I couldn't thank Vinny enough and I think list list those coaches down there. Vinny's been a player coach for for a number of for a number of years now at St. Peters, but every time that we need a conversation about how to deal with a player or how to deal with um, any sort of game plan, he's at the end of the phone. And the guy's got an unbelievably busy life: um, wife, two kids, dog, PFA job, um, Premier League stuff, St. Peters, and he's still there every week. Thursday night Tuesday night if he can make it um, Saturdays as well he's there every single week and he prioritises his football um, commitments to an unbelievable degree but he still finds a time to help um, so yeah it, strong personality yes and he asks questions of you and he demands high standards
1: but he's help, he's happy to help you get to those high standards as well yeah and we, you said before you didn't have any appetite for coaching yeah mm-hmm. uh, that's obviously must have changed in you now. <laughs> yeah. um, how's the appetite now? You've, you know, you won won a lot with St. Peter's last year. Mm-hmm. Um, won the Island a gold in the Island Games in the summer. Um, what's your appetite for what's next?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think I'm I'm really lucky that I work in sport. So yeah. I, um, I've always tried to maybe for the last few years in particular run two kind of career pathways parallel: my sport development career, which you know, I really enjoy, and. And lucky to to have that as i've just said but um the coaching one is is kind of on a day-by-day basis growing um certainly that last season really really gave me an insight into what you could achieve um locally but once you've achieved that what's the next what's the next step and at 25 and 26 next month i I feel like i've i've done quite a bit of the hard yards a bit of the learning to put myself on a a platform where hopefully i can take a next step and if that's um, UK based football that thing been great I, I really enjoyed my time over there um, I would like another opportunity I think it's pretty well publicised now that uh, this will be my last season at St Peter's and um, I'll be honest August time I was struggling to find the motivation to, to do that we'd come off the back of two consecutive seasons anyway mm. and then I'd you know, chosen to do the summer of football as well um, but we literally came back from the Island games on the Saturday and we started putting the nets up at St Peter's on the Monday um, so it was quite exhausting and I, I think it's come at the right time now to leave St Peter's I think the, the players are probably bored as anything as me as well but um, yeah in terms of aspirations I'd love an, an, an opportunity at a higher level if I could but you've got to go through an, a number of steps like Harry's doing the hard yards at the moment it's exactly the same for coaching and obviously it takes a little bit longer for coaching because you're judged on the success at the end of each season so naturally yeah. you've got to wait another year for the next opportunity um, and there's not a clear parallel um, Kind of pathway as there is with, with refereeing, there's not clear clear line to it. You've, you're probably going to have to have some knockbacks, and I'm not daft enough to think that at some club it's it's not going to work as it has done so far. Um, but hopefully, you know, the next opportunity you can make a success of that and just keep moving from there.
1: Absolutely. And um, talking about your your coaching, your, uh, what describe maybe how you approach your coaching uh, on the training pitch mm-hmm. and then also when it comes to game time i mean it's quite a we talk about coaching philosophies nowadays don't we yep. that's kind of a buzzword um yep. what, what would you say yours was
3: so i think that the main thing is about learning um yep. so through my through my degree i kind of really have a, an understanding and appreciation of a coaching syllabus and I, I would really try and work us through that um within a year i think that that does flow quite nicely through kind of cricket cricket coaching through the year where you, you know you've got nets on this day and you can can work that through but try to take that into football coaching I think um, for the Ireland games that was really really well received by a new group um, in terms of this is what we're doing this week lads this is how it's going to relate to and that relatability is obviously important but this is what we're going to do this is how it relates to Gozo on the first game um, and then next week we're doing this and this is how it relates to Gozo and you know, are always working through and I think, I think the lads have bought into that um, do ask questions of them it's not Dictating the answers to them, you know, we want them to develop and learn um, both on the pitch, but also kind of cognitively as well. And and I think they've really bought into it. Um, I'd, I'd like to think they have, anyhow. And I think the results maybe suggest they have.
0: Yeah, I think that level of organisation from a coach is massive for a player's perspective. If yeah. you rock up and go, oh, what yeah. all right, let's just have a kick about today, and there's no. If you rock up with a clear plan, right? We, yeah. You know, this is our plan for the season. Here's first month, second month, whatever. That's yeah. how we're going to structure it. People can sit there and go, oh right, he's taking this as seriously as we want to take
3: this. Yeah, and there's, there's obviously a degree of flexibility in that. So Tuesday nights, really for us, would be either about that social element, kind of fun, competitive games, or some unit work. So take I might take the attackers, guards might take defenders, and work through some specific themes within that. And then come Thursday, we're really lucky to have a really dedicated reserve team coaching group as well with Chris Riley and Carl Bene and they would take the, the reserves away, work on their game plan for Saturday. We would take the first team away and work on that. So. Maybe more technical on a Tuesday, more tactical on a Thursday, and that that seemed to have worked for us for for a number of years now. So, um, yeah, you need to have that plan, but also that degree of flexibility. What went well last week? What didn't go well? Um, what, could, what are these guys' strengths? What are their guys' weaknesses? So, yeah, that degree of flexibility comes with that organisation as
1: well. And I suppose also you must get a degree of satisfaction if what you're doing on the training ground is then replicated in the match.
3: Yeah, I think um, I think there's a there's a built-in video of the. Isle of Wight, um, Island Games semi-final when we scored a we scored a set piece um, and you've never seen Garts move so quick, <laughs> <laughs> set pieces of Garts' bag um, um. and I think Campbell nods it in at the front post and Garts is jumping up which takes takes some effort for the big fella mm-hmm. so yeah, it was. Um, you do get a lot of pride in that, you know, St. Clement's last week I think our shape was really really good um, and we had a lot of bodies missing so we knew we had to be compact defensively. we didn't give away many chances. Um, but yeah, take, take some pride in that. You're always critical of yourself because you, want, you know, want to make it absolutely perfect. But when things like set-pieces are, are quite binary, you either score or you don't, Gart
1: certainly gives it licks when we do. And um, Ireland Games obviously was an uh, amazing achievement and an amazing experience as well. Yeah. Um, was it a surprise when Martin Custody resigned? I mean, you, you, he, he got you in, didn't he? Um, yeah. to help help him out was a yep. surprised when he resigned and, and how did you feel about taking on that role at quite short notice
3: yeah so Cass got me in kind of uh, maybe 10 days 2 weeks before the ordinary semi-final um, which was quite um, quite last minute um, really enjoyed that that trip that's that some day out it's like going to Stahol country <laughs> um, that was different um, and then uh, you know I think Cass had a lot going on at, yeah. that, at that time um, within his personal life and you can maybe see that Cass's um, kind of energy for football was, was dropping, and that's understandable. He's achieved a lot yeah. within local football as well, and um, they'd obviously had the nations, nations cup. Um, they'd they'd we'd won um, the semi final. I think Cass was building up to a big crescendo, really, and I think the Marathi maybe just felt like the right time for him to to step away. Was it a surprise to, to get the role? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I didn't. Also, um, got a really good relationship with Dave, Dave Kennedy. I, I presumed that there would be a lot of people knocking at the door. Um, but then actually looking back, given the timelines associated in terms of we'd already submitted a provisional squad, we could only make limited changes to that. Um, we'd work with the players for a prolonged period of time for the Island, for the Marathi anyway. Um, and Dave trusted me with that. His son something that you know, I don't take lightly, I think, um, to trust to trust me at my age was with no experience of representative football as a as a player, only two games experience as a coach, um, was a huge gamble from from Dave and the association and one that I'm really, really grateful for.
1: And um, obviously the achievement itself, did it exceed expectations and, and the experience as well? I mean, it was I was there at the Island Games, I was following you. Yep. The, the whole event, should I say, the whole, you know, not just the football, but everything yep. that was going on, it was such a, a great thing to be part of, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, you go into those first meetings and this is how we're going to win the Island Games and I'm looking at going going, tell you what, it'd be great to get out of the group. Um, <laughs> and thinking we've got a pretty tough draw here, Menorca, no one knows anything about Gozo, but their Premier League looks absolutely class on YouTube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then um, you, we knew we'd probably beat St Helena, but and then you're thinking, a Mar- Moratti kind of semi-final against, um, against Guernsey at the track, that's going to be difficult. Um, yeah, it'd be great to get to that kind of... It'd be in a medal match was basically yeah. the target. Um, I think the Isle of Wight game was it, that's the best game of football I've been involved in. I thought we dominated, then we got dominated, and then that last half an hour um, was just absolutely crazy. You know, the subs, Heinze came on and it completely changed that game. Um, and I think once we'd won that, we knew we were going to win it. Um, I m- remember sitting on the pitch with with Gartz afterwards, and um, we'd both faced time time already and. You know, I think we we both said this this one's ours at this point. Um, you're never going to get a better opportunity. Um, you kind of regret that that thought when you and Punches won into World's Own net after a minute of the final. Um, but yeah, it was a. I thought I think we knew we'd won it after the semi-final. And what was
1: it like working with that group of players?
3: Different. Yeah. Um, really, really different. I probably got very, very comfortable within a group at St Peter's, who, with the exception of maybe seven or eight. We'd brought in or we'd brought through, so they're either kids that had come through or we'd brought them in from other clubs. And there's a core there—people that've been there a long, long time: Sam, Luce uh, Elliot, Poole Mark, Log, etc. And there's there's more within there. Um, but we got comfortable in that group. We knew the dynamics. We knew how to get the best out of each player. And you go into a changing room of your Luke Watsons, your James Kerrays. Um, we'd coach coach Luke Campbell already in that season with COVID. But your Ewans, um, Lawn you know, people that we had no experience of whilst we knew them as blokes we didn't know them mm. as players um, and yeah that was a little bit a little bit daunting but you could just see after the first week I think that they bought into it yeah. um, and we bought into them as well you know there's I think I said at the time there's, and they, I can't repeat the half time team talk against <laughs> against the Isle of Wight but um, I certainly had a perception of that group of players and I think uh, a lot of people had a perception of that group of players when they were local club players when they all played yeah. for St Paul's or Scottish and um, in terms of how they carried themselves, what their personalities were, when you get to know them, they are a completely different bunch of people. Um, they're really, really grounded. Someone like Luke Watson, who's an absolute bulldog on the pitch. Yeah. Um, most lovely supporting lad off it. Um, a really, really good level head. But you'd never know that unless you actually sat down and had a beer with him. Um, and that that group completely changed my outlook on them as as people, as individuals, but also as a group.
0: Do you see that as well, Harry, from a refereeing perspective, working with some of the lads who have played for the Bulls, played for Jersey, played at a slightly higher level than local club football? Is there a a difference in those guys?
2: Yeah, I think there has, and the big one's the intensity around how they treat their football. Um, I was obviously at the Island Games with the women's squad, um, and I didn't know these lads off the pitch either, but when we were just sat around the hotel... Every time we were sat there, everyone would stop for a chat and you see this different side of people when they're not on the pitch. And it's different. I'm different on the pitch when I'm refereeing to what I'm going to be in the clubhouse after. Everyone is. You cross that white line and that's football. Um, so it is. There's, there is a massive difference and I think it would be strange if there wasn't and you weren't slightly different on the pitch because you love what you're doing and you want to win. So that experience being in Guernsey with those lads I think has only been it's definitely helped me understand players better spending that time away with a group um, and getting to know them in that way as well as the local players is the same uh, they're still turn off on a Saturday afternoon wanting to win their game of football um albeit it's a slightly lower level being in the local league rather than the Bulls or for the JFA rep side um but at the end of the day, it's a game of football that people want to win. So personalities come out and people change on the pitch. I think I think on that as well, the,
3: the biggest compliment you could give that group of players was the award that they won from from Steve Jacobs at the Island Games in terms of team spirit award. Um, but we that was the most pleasing element. Obviously, the gold medal's great. Mm. Um, but how they represented not just Jersey, but the, the Jersey Football Association, there's a, a huge stigma. And the Island Games Association would absolutely admit to it. But there's the... Bloody footballers type, yeah, um, yeah. type stigma. Our lads were great. Um, the same with the same with the women's team as well. But our lads went to every single women's game. Yeah. The women did exactly the same back for us. They went down to the athletics. They went and watched the badminton. You know, you try and get a hold of them, and they're they're off watching. Left, you know, Ewan followed uh, Joe Hacker around for every every hole of one of his rounds. Um, a load of the lads watched a lot of the golf as well. The mm-hmm. golfers then came and supported us. I think. You know, personally speaking, I think the men's and women's football team brought the Island Games team together an awful yeah. lot, and um, that hasn't been the case in the past. And we said in our first meeting that we wanted to be the best Jersey Island Games team on the pitch, but the best off it as well. And I think they achieved both.
1: Yeah, so you're there as ambassadors as well, aren't you? Yeah, um, ambassadors for the team, ambassadors for the islands. And I, like you say, I've heard the same where previous teams, you know, not just Jersey, all, all mm. the football teams from yeah. all the different islands, they, they were like completely separate from the games, but I mean, it was, must have been so important to, for everyone to buy into that whole spirit and ethos.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, they didn't get any help in hand whilst we were over there, by the yeah. way, you know. Um Every every jersey athlete had the same, but we couldn't access the spa at the hotel. I remember speaking to you on the first yeah. game about it. Um, everywhere.
1: Couldn't get the jacuzzi, could
3: you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got guys. Um, no one else was. Um, yeah, so you had that. You, every game that we went to, um, you had you know little kids there with their Gozo flags or their Menorca flags giving you absolute pelters. Um, we went down to watch Guernsey one day, still in our track suits. We got absolute pelters, you know. but no one nibbled at all. It was just took it for what it was which was a hostile place but a great place to
0: win
1: gold yeah absolutely it was a great achievement
0: chaps a little bit of fun to finish Um, we've got a referee and a coach VAR very interesting sort of you know new thing into the world of football Um, I'm personally interested in comparing it with um, you know video analysis from other sports what are your personal opinions on the state of VAR um,
2: I think it's it's such a difficult topic and like I said earlier on a Saturday afternoon I'm out refereeing a game I have one look at top speed and I have to make a decision on it we're seeing these decisions every week in the Premier League where um, they're subjective They look it's looked at ten times at however many different angles and slow-mo to full speed and people still don't agree with the decision. Um, No matter if it's the referee making a decision there and then or if it's on VAR, people are going to disagree. Um, VAR just allows it to be right in law, more often than not, but as a football fan, there's times where I hate it. As a referee, there's times where I can hate it as well, but there's also, also helping the game be as fair as possible, I think, and there's a lot on Twitter every Saturday when an offside gets ruled out because someone's toenails offside. Yeah. It's about the only decision in football that's factual. Yeah. And we're seeing all these people kick off saying this isn't what we bought VAR in for, but that's the law. That's what football that's it's offside at the end Is of the day. it's still going
1: through a bit of a teething stage. Absolutely. And
2: the change in PGMOL when um the professional game match officials body um had a different owner a different CEO when it first came in now that Howard Webb's in charge we've seen changes and we've seen more referees go to the screen and say, "No, I'm sticking with my decision Um, I think again it's like I mentioned before that clarity and being able to explain it and now that Howard Webb's on Sky Sports every so often doing this going through what the match officials have said and also coming out and saying look we're sorry we got it wrong just provides that sort of humility to it saying look we got it wrong we hold our hands up but what does annoy me is when clubs are saying, this is wrong, we deserve some sort of comeback for it. It's, well, how many times did your players make a mistake? How many tactical mistakes did you, may you have made? The referee might have made five, six mistakes in a game, but how many of them have actually cost you points or whatever? And it's that side of it that sometimes frustrates me. I mean, it's just someone doing their best. They put all of their life into it. Um, things are going to go wrong sometimes. Everyone's got to hold their hands up and say that sorry, which I think the referees have done this season more than ever when something's gone wrong. I totally
0: agree, and by the way, <coughs> professional referees do it. Statistically, do a heck of a good job. You know, you look at a linesman; they get most of those offside decisions spot on, and and with the with the help of VAR now, they're obviously making. Pretty much all of yep. them, correct. But um, in terms of a <clears throat> in terms of a, a development in how it works, I was having an interesting chat with a friend of mine about uh, the use of <laughs> the division decision review system in cricket, in which each team gets to decide. We would like to review your decision, there, official match official. Um, ra- so rather than five minutes after an incident happening in a game of football, the ref gets a tap in the ear and go and have a look at the screen. What do you think about the chance of a, a <coughs> captain coming up and going, oh, ref? Um, we'll, we'll review your decision there.
2: It's difficult because it's so different to cricket. Like a lot of the time when it goes to DRS and cricket, it's it's either out or not. It's pitched outside legs, so therefore it's not LBW. Or they go to ultra edge and it's, um, it's clipped beside of their thigh pad and not glove or bat on the way through. Um, whereas cricket, well, for, sorry, football is so subjective in that sense. You might have a player, a captain, come up and say, we want that reviewed, we think it's a red card. They might then review it and it's a yellow. But VAR doesn't allow for that to happen sort of thing. It has to be, they'll only review for a red card or a goal. So those sort of captain side of it could, I could see it working, but I could also see it being a hindrance and causing sort of unnecessary time where we want the game to be sped up as much as possible, which is why we're seeing all this added time this season of we need the playing time. All of a sudden, this seven minutes can going become 12 because a captain's review asked for a review on something that, in a match-official sense, doesn't need reviewing and doesn't have an impact on the game.
0: Fair point. Yeah, well said. Do you think it should be the referee on field going over to the screen and having a look? Or should it be as simple as... Harry, we've looked at the replay, we think you need to change your decision.
2: I think it's that subjective matter where a referee might think something and the VAR thinks something slightly different, which is <coughs> why sending to the screen is important in my sen- in my view. Um, and we see it where a match official goes to a screen and then says, no, I'm sticking with my decision. Um, but having that look at it Gives them the solidarity to either say, no, I got it wrong, or yeah, I think I've got that right. Um, Rather than if it was just someone in your ear going, that's a red card, and then stopping the game and going, bang, there's a red, off you go. It just means that it is solely on them, rather than the bloke sat potentially 300 miles away at Stockley Park.
0: Probably from a coach's perspective.
1: What would you change? about I was going to say, as a Leeds fan, it's not quite relevant. Well, yeah, quite. Uh, I
3: think I've probably gone full circle on it. I think at the time, from that kind of cricket background, I thought VAR was going to be the absolute thing, which made the game perfect. Um, And I remember the exact moment that my opinion changed when the first time England had used it, uh, Nations League semi-final, we were there, my brother, group of mates, we went out to Porto, sat there, uh, Rashford runs through, scores 1-0 up against Holland, disallowed for exactly that like half a foot offside, and you're like, no chance, is this a thing? So at that point, VR the worst thing in the world. Um, Premier League then, with Leeds granted, uh, not much experience of it, but not a great deal of, um, we didn't feel like got a great deal of benefit of it as Leeds fans, and now we go back into the Championship and it's not a thing, and it's great. Like it looks and feels like the same football that we'll be at tomorrow is then granted at a much, much higher level. Subjectively, um, you know, it would be exactly the same for Leeds at Ellen Road on Saturday, and, and that that feels like football. Um, we're never going to make it perfect. I think you make a good point. I can't remember the exact percentage this year, but I think there's 92% of key match incidents are, are correct this year, which is their lowest in like five years. Um, players don't get 92% of things right, managers don't either. I think the, the issue is that obviously, by nature, they're a key match incident, so when they go wrong, they are blown up completely um, in the media and it's difficult, I would probably do away with it but just try and get the referees a bit better and I think it comes then back to the video analysis stuff um, which you talk about is, even locally now referees are tapping into the VO cameras that are used and Andy Dewhurst um, doing all of that kind of stuff for, for us and a number of clubs but straight away the Guernsey referees from last week can we get the, can we get the footage, absolutely they actually made two cracking key match decisions um, Brent with a really really tight offside, which he which he got bang on, and then a red we thought it was a potential red car, but Actually looking back, it's probably probably an orange, maybe a yellow. And I think he probably did did the right thing in terms of keeping the keeping the lads on the pitch. But you go back and see that, and again Harry gets to see it once, I get to see it once from from my angle where it looked worse on the camera. It doesn't look anywhere near as bad as what we were mm-hmm. what we were shrieking for. So um, yeah, I would probably do away with the VAR. Maybe have a review system, like you said for couple of couple of inches, maybe two two a game. Um, I don't think that would take much more time than the constant this is being reviewed anyway. Um, so maybe two a game, but otherwise I would get rid of the continuous, you want to go and have a look at that and it is a is a pain. But like Paul nicely put at the start, it's not really a consideration for me this <laughs>
1: <year>. <laughs> uh, see yourself at, working at Stockley Park one day, Harry?
2: Hopefully not with the way VAR is <laughs> um, well, potentially um VAR's only going to come further and further into our game I think mm. with the way the world's going with technology advancing um, it's only a matter of time until it is in the championship and Elliot gets the joys of it on a Saturday afternoon when, when leads actually finally get on the TV and don't kick off at 3
1: o'clock <laughs> yeah. I suppose from my perspective you know, when I see it again it comes down to that thing about interpretation still, mm-hmm. so even if it does go to a video referee it's still that person's interpretation of, of the law in mm-hmm. certain situations like especially with penalties you know has there been enough impact to bring him down and things like that and and one person to the next is going to have a different thought aren't they yeah. and and I so, think so that's, that's, where that's where I think VAR, VAR struggles I think
3: as job. well there's a there's an element of it and Harry might disagree with me on this bit for the f- first time in this podcast <laughs> but referees try where they can to back a referee um, and I think there's an element of that with VAR where you, Clearly, think that should definitely be reviewed, and it hasn't been. Yeah. Um, Vinnie would then support me on this one as well. I'd probably think it's a great idea, but kind of that ex-professional in the room of actually, there's nothing in that. Get yeah. it, get it gone. Or that, actually, there's something in that. That came
0: out not long ago, didn't it? The yeah, but well, you look at a Shocker and they went, no, we we don't want to. get look it a
3: cricket. Go. I know it's completely different, but the soft dismiss, the soft signal now for for catches, etc. They're they're reviewed, but a lot of um match referees and, and TV umpires in cricket are ex-professionals. People like Chris Broad. Who can then go? Yeah, he probably has caught that, um, and I think there is a there is a place for that ex-professional kind of consultant within the
1: process. Well, there's, there's, I've had that conversation a few times, haven't they? Well, can you get more ex-pros yep. officiating? And it and it doesn't seem to happen anywhere. Um, doesn't happen in Jersey. Doesn't happen in the in the in the professional game in England I'm not, either.
0: I'm not surprised. The way those guys play their careers, hurling abuse at those blokes. Mm. For Fifteen years, and then all of a sudden they want to retire and become one. I can't see. I mean, I mean,
3: Vinny's refereed a couple of training games.
0: Yeah, horrendous. Yeah, and uh, he's
3: actually a referee assessor. And, and he would say he's great. He he's <laughs> hundred out of hundred. Have you refereed a game? I have refereed a game yet. Yeah. Two. And how do you get on? How do you find it? Thanks. I was, I was I've been waiting for an hour <laughs> <laughs> for someone to ask that question. Trinity St Paul's over thirty five. I got two hundred out of two hundred. So technically, I should have won referee of the year. Later. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you
2: actually give a foul? Would you say yeah, yeah? Crack on, lads. <laughs> yeah. Well,
3: a couple reckon, of yellow cards. Reckon,
0: <laughs> would you reckon Harry would Elliot make a good you know, full-time referee? You'd give it a decent shot, I reckon.
2: Decent football background, which is always a bonus when people come in and understand football. In a spin thing, where Paulie said earlier, I have that understanding of football, so I can understand frustration quite, quite a lot in games. So it is that understanding. You just need to touch off his knowledge of law. I can guarantee. Yeah. And a bit of fitness. I can
0: guarantee you would absolutely love going into the back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Quite that I mean, of course yeah. I mean, you know, Someone would take someone out last man, and
3: you be. First uh, I'd be, be straight. It. Yeah, straight in for that. Um, I think. I think there's a there's an area as well where we don't actually use managers particularly well enough. Full stop for refereeing. So there's been a couple of. I know that. JFA have looked for um, referee observers and, and match match observers, but you have to be a referee. Well, by kind of association, yeah. we don't have enough of them, so yeah. we're unlikely to, to have enough observers on that point as well. But there's obviously an odd amount of teams in the Premier uh, Premiership this year. You know that spare Premiership manager could technically go and go and referee and, and observe games. And I think there are a couple of referees. If you're if you're stood there watching, like I was stood watching um, St Clements against North this year down at down at St. Clement's, and they do actually come up and go, do you reckon I got that one right? Uh, yeah, I'd have probably given that. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I'm getting Peltons. Yeah, well, I can understand why they're giving you Peltons as well, because it was a 50-50, but from my angle, I'd have given it. I think it was a, a goal f- um, for St. Clement's at the back stick, where he just the lad just got up above him, but they thought it was kind of a, a push on the lad at the back stick, but I thought he just got up earlier. So, yeah, you had, um, I think there was an, there's an element there for a, maybe some feedback both ways, and similarly, you know, we fill in a, a report on referees at the end of games um, Which Did they get read? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we, fill, we fill in a report at the end of games We look at
2: what time it's come through And if it's Saturday at half four often
3: go. go It's been written in the car park so. Yeah, um,
0: yeah <laughs>
3: But there's nothing back for, for managers In terms of how we conduct ourselves And I know that Me and Garts And, and definitely my dad At St John's would have been Complete pains Yeah um, I think we'd now be considered probably one of the slightly calmer ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can we confirm that? <laughs> <laughs> or? Yeah. Most are pretty
2: good over here though, to be fair. There's yeah. there's very few managers where you turn up on a Saturday and think that they're going to cause you a problem. Um, I, pr- I can't think of anyone at all that you're dreading turning up on a Saturday knowing that a manager's going to kick off. just doesn't really happen, which is... Can't say the same for referees. There, <laughs> rock up and <laughs> try.
0: You've done well there not to completely throw yourself under the bus. But if you come out and name someone, <laughs> that, <I'd
2: laughs> to with would have been I think it's done. also a testament to the setup in Jersey football where everyone does try and get on, yeah. and everyone has a pretty good understanding of the game and everyone's differing roles.
3: Well, the, the, the difficulty is how close you all are, isn't it? So mm. you come in here today and completely spray referees and then you don't get anything tomorrow because Harry's on the line. So you won't get anything from me anyway. <laughs> don't worry. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think there's that, that proximity bit, so you don't want to burn too many bridges. Yeah. Um, and maybe that was a learning curve for me, especially coming back from the UK, where you don't then see the guys at West yeah, Horton because they're in Bolton and you're in Preston, so you never see them again until the home leg. Um, so you can
2: be a little bit more
3: vocal or uh,
2: a tad more confident. It's yeah, very different over way. here when you're there on a Saturday and then five hours later at 10 o'clock you see him walk to Chambers. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've, I've been forced to referee quite a few times against my will, again, because, you know, in junior football and um, a referee hasn't been able to, to be appointed. Um, and I, I, I can say I absolutely hate it. I really do. I, really? You know, and I remember Ian Cox um, when I was still playing saying to me, you know why didn't you take up referee and take a, oh fine, no no and my experience of refereeing since then is, that that made it clear to me I would, I, I, I I couldn't do it it's a, it is a, a much harder job than is appreciated mm. Um, and I, I, I found it really, really difficult. And I, I was like you described, Elliot. I, I just sat in the middle and just let everything go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. There's, there's a place for. I think Harry's probably on the more lenient end of the scale as well. Yeah. For, especially with the UK experience, that tackles fly, and you're you're a little bit more happy to let it go. I think we are a little bit insular as a referee community. We don't have many off island experience for for our guys, and for some of them, you know, the biggest games that they can do is an Upton or a. Um, Maybe Guernsey, Alderney, um, those kind of games, but they don't—they're not physically at the same level as no. a UK game. No. Um, and whilst tackles might fly, and you know, there's not the same appreciation of that's just part of the game. Um, and I think, yeah, I would much be on the arms out, let let things go, let's crack on.
2: I think on that though, it's again what a referee wants to let happen. Some mm-hmm. referee, I quite—I like a physical game, so. I'm going to blow my whistle as few times as possible for fouls, and I'm going to try. I also like to just try and play on. So even if there is that shirt pull, and there's the arm round. If he's got the pass off, I'm going to play it. Even if it's gone backwards and they've kept the ball, I like to just try and play on. I don't like to be stopping the game all the time. Um, but then other referees, just the way their referee will give lots of fouls for the smaller things.
0: But um, as long as you're consistent with that, teams, teams know what to expect. I think
2: that's exactly the thing that you want on a Saturday. Yeah. You know that referees are going to be different, but you want the same level of consistency throughout the game.
3: I think as well, in terms of that consistency, the one thing that I'd love to see brought into Jersey football in terms of refereeing, which I know is difficult from a um, population perspective is in terms of we don't have enough, but a smaller pool of Premiership referees, I think the the kind of broad church of Premiership referees at the moment is is too vast. So you've got one end, like the exact example Harry's just given, one end that lets everything go, one end where you can't fart on the pitch without getting a foul given against you. And I think we have to get to a a more narrow, more consistent basis so that you aren't going from a Tuesday night... We've had it this week, Saturday with a Guernsey official, Tuesday with a Jersey official, Saturday with another Jersey official. They will all referee in completely different ways, Mm. which I understand, but actually you'd think it would be more consistent on a smaller island um, and I, I would hope that that's something we can bring in where is there's a level
1: that's a reflection of their own personality I suppose when they're refereeing
3: maybe and I think it's a reflection of you know personality capability to a degree in terms of how they can get around the pitch what they perceive to be um, a foul you know, they're playing sp- all of those kind of things but that's what I'm saying if we can try and narrow up that what was it level 4 eyes the highest you can get over here
2: uh, <coughs> yeah technically sort of I'm, I'm four, but there's a, we've got three, four eyes as well. <coughs>
3: but you know, level four is a, as a minimum for, for Premiership referees, I think it would be great, would be absolutely mm. ideal um, because there's not too, too many of those, is there? No. And Mark does a great job th- with the appointments. By the way, it's a, a thankless yeah. task as well. Not fancy doing it, so. no. Um, <laughs> and you know, I'm not teaching how to suck eggs, but I do think that's one of the frustrations that yeah. there's such a diversity in, in terms of abilities um, within the within the top flight.
0: Um. And um, we've had interesting. <coughs> not going to dive too far into it. But we've had interesting incidences with Marathis over recent times. Do you yep. think both open question to both of you? Do you think there should be neutral referees across the Marathi board, juniors, seniors? Or?
3: So I'm going to jump in. I think before Harry Clover comes on. in on this one, um, I completely get it. So I completely get the question from um, a coach's point of view. You work. Very, very hard for that one off game. So, I think you know, Jodie, Jody, I've got a good relationship with from, from St. Peter's clearly, and you know, they've worked awfully hard for that for that Maratti that's maybe in question here. Um, I completely get Jim Fowler's point as well of how disrespectful it is to referees. I think you got brunt end of that pool, to be fair, well, it, was, <laughs> um, it was my piece, I, I wrote it. So that, yeah,
1: um, it wasn't for I, so I mean, it was, it, know was know. It, it was it was kind of tongue in cheek, really. Um, that, not that Jim to t- <laughs> t- took it that well But I suppose it was just worthy of the conversation It wasn't to suggest that it, We definitely should or, or definitely shouldn't But
3: I think Jim's, Jim's comment on, on their own podcast Where he said you know, you ha- I have been in the middle of a semi-final game Where I don't know whether I should send someone off Because it impacts the final Yeah, That's clearly not a great position to be in no. We were really lucky We had Luke Pattermore last year Really, really good um, Against Aldenay But you don't want them to be in that position Um I would like to see it be neutral personally, it's in the middle. I think yeah. the line is absolutely fine, you know, no one could say what happened in the Marathi final last year yeah. was because Richard Dyer had a jersey badge on his shirt. Absolutely not. It was a difficult decision. I think he got a hundred percent right, but I completely understand why people would perceive that. I think that still then gives the opportunity for local officials to be involved in those games, maybe not in the middle, and I appreciate that's not the, the centre role, but it comes back to the point earlier about integrity and I think there is Greater integrity in those matches. Not that any Jersey or Guernsey official would go out to be biased completely. Not
1: not consciously. No, but yeah. not, I but don't yeah, really there's think there's going to be a subconscious maybe element, like what Jim said, in his maybe it goes the other of, way in older yeah. as Yeah, a subculture said
3: Yeah, and maybe it goes the other way. And I just don't think we need to put them in those positions. Yeah. Um,
2: but,
1: but you're you,
3: probably going to think yeah. the opposite
2: here. Like, I f- fully understand the perspective. That it's the same for the players working to get in that representative squad for a referee doing the junior Marathi or being mm-hmm. appointed to the Marathi semi-final is probably is the be-all and end-all at the end of the day where I know this year we have a cup final seminar every year where the appointments for the cup finals get given out and whoever's got that Marathi line at home that is the biggest possible thing you can get S- same as if you were playing in it if you were in that Marathi squad that's the biggest thing you can have as a player um, and again any of the junior morasses, whether it's through from under 15 to under 21, being appointed to that game as the person in the middle is massive for any referee. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you made the point of they're never going to go out with that thought of I'm from Jersey, I'm referee in Jersey, I'm going to give them everything. You probably unconsciously go slightly the other way. Yeah. And you probably are slightly more harsh on your own island because it. you're you've got that which Again, it does show the potential of saying, "Well, if there's someone from the FA, that's completely eliminated." Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's at the end of the day, it's still interinsular football. So why are we taking away from the interinsular referees who work all season, the same as the players, for that opportunity? Um, where do you draw the line at that point as well? Yeah. Like, does the Upton then become neutral? Because obviously, it used, the Upton used to be an FA appointment. It used to be someone from the football league would referee. The Upton.
3: I yeah, um, I yeah, I completely understand that. I think. I think I would make the difficult decision of they neutral. I think I don't think I think senior Marathi, so I think eighteens, twenty ones and um and men's and women's Marathi should be um neutral. I think kind of star trophy, all of that all of that kind of level um could be could be um referees and but then what, you know, does domestic football then like Harry said, do we go back to an FA appointment for that? I probably wouldn't probably say that domestic football is refereed by domestic referees and then that becomes your pinnacle. Yes that means your pinnacle slightly lower than it is than it is at the moment but it's still you know the Upton's are a pretty good standard of football yeah. at times. I certainly can vouch for this from last year. The Upton was a better <laughs> game of football than the Marathi last year. Yeah, uh, More open, more end-to-end, teams flying in. The Marathi was more cagey. Yeah it's because no one wants to lose it so actually there's more decisions maybe to make in in, a, in an upton. There oh wasn't yeah. much,
1: la- well, last well, season there wasn't too much, but <laughs> the last You were played played well too yeah. on the day. <laughs> would it, it, would it, you, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was interesting that, um, you know, the Marathi has always had a neutral ref ever since yeah. the second ever Marathi, and that was because the first one was uh, Jersey versus Alderney in the final, I believe, at Springfield. In 1905 or six, and they had a Guernsey referee, and mm. his decisions were so bad, he was chased off the pitch by the by the <laughs> Jer- Jersey natives. So,
0: no comment. <laughs> um, what, what, what about you, Harry? If if, it, if the if the senior Marathi came your way, would you want to do? it
2: Honestly, no, because I wouldn't want to be in that position where you've got that scrutiny of it's a Jersey lad.
0: I agree. <laughs> <laughs>
2: to be honest. Um, Especially on that biggest stage of all in the men's and women's Marathis, I think that that is right to be an FA appointment neutral. Someone from the FA, normally, someone either on their way up in the men's or women's game or on their way out. Um, obviously, it's been a Football League referee for years on the men's Marathi in the last two seasons. For the women's Marathi, it's been someone who's been promoted from the National League into the Championship for the women's game that season. Um, and an up and coming referee, so providing those opportunities for them as well to get away from the mainland and come and do something different. Where I suppose our football environment is very different, and to have that understanding of how much pa- how much it means to us as people from Jersey to go out and win that Marathi is something for them to understand and get a different perspective of football. I think
3: the fact that Harry maybe just said there that. You wouldn't feel comfortable in that situation. I get that it's slightly tapered down at an under twenty-one level or an under eighteen level. Probably speaks speaks volumes. You struggle to do St Peter's under thirteens against St Clements. So <laughs> it, quite clearly, the, the personal conflict is difficult to wrestle with, yeah. and there's, there's kind of no there's no real easy answer to it. But I think the best answer for the integrity of the games is a neutral ref
0: chaps I think that's a wonderful place to leave it thank you so much for joining us today that was fascinating I really enjoyed that thank yeah, you absolutely thank yeah, you and I uh, wish you the best gentlemen